Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Proud members of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTF Podnet on Twitter. You can find me at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. And you can find my co-host for the day, Mr. Matthew Fox, at Nighthawk7734 on Twitter. We are bringing you just one of many great podcasts as part of this network, including the likes of Jim Day of FF Champs, Adam Ronis and Dr. Roto of Sirius XM Radio, Bob Lung of the award-winning Fantasy Football Consistency Guide, Dwayne McFarlane, Blake Sullivan, and a ton of other great podcasts. Your one-stop shop for all of your fantasy news, advice, and strategies, all on FullTimeFantasy.com. For today's episode, Matt is back. He is back with me, Matt. The Matts, they're back. The back. Back to the Mets, yeah, all that good stuff. We are back, and we are going to be, right, be breaking down the rest of the Sunday slate games, two of the early games, all of the afternoon games, minus the Broncos, obviously, because we did that yesterday, and then the Monday night football game, which was, yeah, not great, but we'll get to that. We'll save my wonderful analysis of that game for the time, or for at the time that we get that game. My God, guys, it's been a bad day, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. I feel like crap. Allergies are kicking my butt. But let's get mad in here and, and let's uh, let, let's start breaking down these football games and talk about the players that balled out and possibly people we should be picking up off the waiver wire. Hello! And as I mentioned there in the intro, I've got Matt joining me again today. Matt, how was uh, how was your Monday night football watching experience? Probably a little less uh, stressful than yours. All I needed was Le'Veon Bell to show out so I could win a couple of leagues. Unfortunately, uh, that happened. Um, pretty shocking watching what happened to Trevor Simeon. That was yeah. one of the grossest things I think I've seen in a while. Yeah, I really felt bad for the kid. Uh, I actually tweeted out some stuff about Miles Garrett. Uh, as big of a fan as I am of the Browns, I was a little disappointed in his continually hits or late hits on the quarterback there. Yeah, that was a. Uh, Pretty brutal to see uh, his his ankle kind of flopping around like that. Not something I think anybody wanted to see, including uh, someone who was not even cheering for the Jets. But yeah, that was uh, unfortunate I, for them. 
Definitely. I can't believe he walked off the field because I, I think we're seeing today that he's out for the year with a pretty severe ankle injury, which is no surprise after he saw the hit. But I was kind of surprised he walked off the field and limped down the tunnel. Yeah, I'm right there with you. So, obviously, when it first happened, we all saw... Well, I didn't see it the first time, obviously. You just see him go down and grab his ankle, and I'm like, oh, no, what yeah. happened? And then when you see the replay, obviously, that's when everybody sees it, and you're like, oh, my God. Like, the way the ankle was flopping around, that it's not the way it's supposed to be, kind of, in a way, almost reminded me of Alex Smith last year. And Alex Smith was like the whole leg, which made it even worse. Uh, not that I want to compare injuries or make anything worse than the other, but... Uh, yeah, when you see it flopping around like that, you're like, oh my god, he's done. Like, that's just horrible. And then he got up and walked off, and I was just like, wait, what? What's going on? Did, did, uh, really? Like, did he not get hurt? Like, so yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. It was kind of surprising uh, to see him walk off. And obviously, you were hoping when you saw him walk off that that might meant it was not quite as serious as we all thought it might be, but it turns out that it is. So that is not good for him. Uh, and we will definitely address that more. When we get to the Jets game, which will be the last one we touch on today, let's go ahead and jump into the rest of the Sunday slate, the Sunday night football game, and then lastly, the Monday night football game that we saw last night. First and 10 at the Lions 29, and Prescott goes screen right. Elliott down the right side to the 25, to the 20, to the 10. Elliott to the pylon. Zeke Elliott, touchdown. 38 on the screen. Second down at 10, takes the snap, gives it. Chubb runs, he's to the 15, he's to the 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45. Michael Gallup news. He comes in at wide receiver 24 with 
four points in this one. Three catches, 74 yards, and that 51-yard touchdown. Michael Gallup gets you 68 yards on six catches to finish his wide receiver 36. Amari Cooper finishes his wide receiver 31 with 14.4 points, 44 yards, four catches, and one touchdown. And then Jason Winton, uh, one of the few tight ends we're going to talk about today. Uh, tight end seven finishes with 12.50 points with uh, 25 yards, one touchdown on four catches. So the Cowboys, as I stated, started off slow, turned it up in halftime. Uh, I, at this point, I really feel like Zeke, Dak, and Cooper are automatic starts every single week. I, I know a lot of us were hesitant to see what this Cowboys offense was going to be with the new play caller and, and everything we'd seen over the past couple years. I feel like through two games, at least, Kellen Moore has proven he can call plays and has made this offense look really good. Again, we talked about a little bit yesterday. Michael Gallup is going to be out for at least four weeks, maybe more. We haven't gotten a definitive answer on that yet. Right after we got done recording, there was a report that came out that Devin Smith will get an increased role in playing with Gallup being out. So, do you trust picking up Smith and playing him as a possible flex play for the next couple of weeks with Gallup out? I mean, this first week, you might consider it just because of who they're... Uh who they're playing, you know, with the Dolphins, uh, might get a little more run. Uh, then they go play New Orleans, not as sure about that. Um, he's certainly worth a consideration. I think anyone who you think is going to get significant targets in this offense uh, is going to be worth a consideration for a while. I really, you know, I was thinking about it the other day. Are the Cowboys a little bit like what we're seeing from the Patriots in the AFC, just an astounding offense and the way the NFC is kind of shaping up right now with some of the other big contenders having issues. Um, it's shaping up to be quite a potential season for Dallas. Cause we all liked Tony Pollard behind Elliot. I was interested to see him getting in, getting a little bit more work uh, as that game got out of hand. He may even end up being a decent play on Sunday. You know, when we saw the Patriots play against Miami, they got up so big. They were pulling a lot of different people in there, a lot of people getting opportunities. So that's uh, that's a possibility. It may also be a case where even though Zeke and Amari Cooper are two rock-solid options in this offense, if they get up big enough early, you could see other guys having more of a role and actually being a somewhat disappointing day for some of the stars because they may not need them. Um, I think I saw somewhere today that the – the game between the Cowboys and the Dolphins and the Patriots and the Jets are now historically large week three lines. Yeah, uh, I believe the it may have changed since I last looked at it, but I know the Pats, I think, were giving it. It was 18 points and the Cowboys was 20 something. Uh, and that was just the first initial line. So I'm sure that's changed a little bit. But yeah, I'm, my big hope, because as someone who owns uh, Zeke in a lot of places, my hope is he gets you a touchdown or two before they pull him, because I do agree with you. I think if they get up like the Patriots, I don't see the Cowboys keeping their players in and kind of running up the score like the Patriots did. Not that there's anything wrong with that. This is an NFL team. You should have to go out there and stop them, so I'm not complaining about them running up the score. But I could, I agree with you. I could see the Cowboys kind of pulling back on some of their starters. Uh, to, uh, well, and that was the that was the thing with New England. They the score got out of hand, but it wasn't even so much the offense doing it. It was yeah, so enigmatic. Um, and I'm looking at the lines right now. Patriots are minus twenty two point five over the Jets, and the Cowboys are minus twenty one and a half over the Dolphins yeah. as of this morning. Yeah, those are going to be pretty uh, pretty brutal games, I think. Um, 
going into Sunday. But that's all right, because we actually, if I can remember correctly from some of the games we have on the schedule this week, we'll have at least some good games. So we'll, we'll yeah. see what happens. But yeah, those are two games probably a lot of people will just be looking at fantasy scores, not necessarily box scores and everything else with that one. For the Redskins side here, so Case Keenum has another good game for you, at least in fantasy. 26-37, 221 yards, two touchdowns to finish his QB 11, 27.24 points. Adrian Peterson, 25 yards on 10 carries and a touchdown, finishes his RB 25, 11.2 points. Uh, Chris Thompson finishes just two spots behind him at RB 27 with 10.10 points. He gets you three yards on two carries and then 48 yards on six catches. And then scary Terry McLaurin does it again. Wide receiver 20, 17.20 points, 62 yards, five receptions, and touchdown. I'm going to save McLaurin for the second part of this. Do you... Do you trust at all putting Peterson or Thompson in your flex moving forward, knowing that this offense is likely going to be down more often than they are up? Um, I don't know how good I feel about either back. I don't think either looked that great on Sunday. Yeah, so I, I'm with you for the most part on Peterson because I don't think that uh, the Redskins are going to be up often. Uh, which I do think means he's not going to get as much run as someone, or you would hope, as a player you're putting in your flex spot. But I don't think Thompson's a bad play, just because we saw him get targeted the second most behind McLaurin. He got seven targets, caught six of them, yeah, five of them. So he got seven, yeah. tar- eight targets, I'm sorry, eight targets, caught five of them. So he had a pretty good game, and I do think he's going to be used a lot in the passing game. So not a bad player to put in your flex spot, especially if he can stay healthy. We've seen him produce monster fantasy weeks. Uh, but I am with you. I would not necessarily feel safe, especially Peterson, feel good playing him. Probably more of a deep PPR league kind of a flex. Yeah. I think the other thing that scares me with Pearson and really anyone playing running back there is not very efficient on the offensive line either. They're probably not a good team, not going to be up. But, I mean, Pearson had 10 carries, only got 25 yards. Geis had 10 carries, only got 18 yards the week before. I think we're just seeing they have trouble opening holes. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's why I would try and steer away from Peterson if possible. I know he's a hot waiver wire pickup last week. Not someone I'm really going to try and, and play most weeks unless you're really desperate. But scary Terry McLaurin, we said to both pick him up. We thought he was going to be a good play last week. I, I picked him and I told a lot of people uh, this past weekend, if you were part of the Dynasty Nerds chat on Facebook, the, I told a lot of people to play him so I thought he'd have a good game. Comes through here. And I don't think that that's going to change. He got the most targets out of everybody. I truly think he has already become their number one wide receiver for football and for fantasy. And as long as Case Keenum is out there slinging it, I think he's going to have fantasy value. And when they replace him with Dwayne Haskins, I think the same thing. We saw them have a pretty good chemistry in preseason. Obviously, they both played at Ohio State. I think Terry I think Terry McLaurin is a safe play all season long. He's probably going to – and right now, he's a top – uh, he's a he's a number two wide receiver. I think he stays probably drops a little bit below that. Maybe a wide receiver three for fantasy, but I think he easily produces flex value. I would feel safe throwing him in every single week. What are your thoughts on Terry McLaurin? Yeah, I think we've seen through two weeks. He's probably the Washington Redskins player you feel the best about starting. Um, be curious to see if they can get Jordan Reed back. What that might do. Uh, with the offense, I had had some hopes for Trey Quinn, but just doesn't really seem like enough boom there. McLaren 
is the one that seems like he's getting longer passes and being a more focal point of the offense. Yeah, the one thing I'll say on Quinn, and I did want to touch on him, he actually got a lot of targets in this game, but I think it's because from what I saw, again, as living here in Texas, they obviously had the Cowboys game on, so I got to see a lot of that uh, when I was out with some people watching the games. And they had him a lot more in the slot than anything else. And he had seven targets, so he only caught four of them. So maybe that's why they, they seem to be playing McLaurin on the outside and allowing him to take the deep shots that you were just talking about. So maybe Quinn, I would actually say he's probably a sneaky waiver wire ad because if he's going to be the number two there in Washington, if teams start to shift their better corners toward Terry McLaurin and trying to cover him, Case is no we, – we've seen Case will dump it off. He, he was famous for that last year in Denver. So I, I do think that Quinn could get a boost in value, especially playing out of that slot position, uh, especially with the increase in targets we saw last week. So not a bad uh, waiver wire ad for me, especially if you're in a deep league, if he's out there and you need some wide receiver help. Next up, we've got the Arizona Cardinals and the Baltimore Ravens. Arizona losing this one 17-23. Actually played a really good game here, I thought, for the most part. So Kyler Murray finishes his QB 18 with 22.61 points, 25 of 40, 349 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions, still not doing much on the ground, which I think a lot of people, when they drafted him, were hoping for those rushing yards because that's really kind of where the QB position has gone for fantasy. David Johnson, uh, box score is a little bit misleading here on his day, finishes his RB 37 with 8.40 points. Seven carries for 14 yards and a touchdown, just one catch. Did get hurt in this one, injured his wrist, and missed a lot of the game. Chase Edmonds came in and played for him for a bit and actually looked really well. Uh, I think DJ will be fine, though, moving forward. Christian Kirk bounces back, has a good game here. 114 yards on six catches, finishes as wide receiver 19 with 17.40 points. And Larry Fitzgerald just continues to get it done. 104 yards, five catches, finishes as wide receiver 29, 15.40 points. So, obviously, personally, I am not worried about DJ. Again, I know he sat out a little bit dealing with the with the wrist injury. He looked really good in week one. I think when he was out there and healthy in that second half there, looked good as well. Uh, Kirk and Fitz, do you think that you can play both of them moving forward, especially Fitz with what we've seen out of them the first two weeks? Yeah, I actually went back to playing Fitz in week two. Um, it certainly seems like Christian Kirk – and Larry Fitzgerald are the guys you want to focus on there. Fitzgerald, 11 targets. He was only able to grab five of them, but was able to turn that into 104 yards, had another long pass. Kirk got eight targets, got six of them for 114. He seems to be locked in there. For as much as the Cardinals, uh, a big talk was all the young wide receivers they drafted in the offseason. It's the guys that they already had that seemed to be um, having more of a role in the offense. You know, we know Butler's on IR. Andy Isabella, a lot of people had high hopes for him. He has not even been a factor. In fact, Michael Crabtree was the one that was in yesterday, and Keyshawn Johnson and Bird. Um, Bird is actually a guy, if you're in a deeper league, I was looking at that might have some long-term flex appeal. He got seven targets, cut six of them for 45. He had a fairly nice day the first week, too. It looks like Arizona is a team that's going to have to throw a lot, both because they're having trouble blocking and being able to run the ball and because their defense isn't very good. So I think this passing game has been pretty impressive for a couple of weeks. 
Yeah, I think that's going to continue because uh, this defense is, as you just mentioned, uh, struggling here. They're going to continue to allow points, which means the Cardinals are going to have to continue to score to remain in games. But they did keep this one close against the Ravens. Yet Lamar Jackson just does it again. Finishes his QB2 on the week with 40.8 points in this one. Again, just a dominating performance by him. 24-37, 272 yards and two touchdowns. Adds 120 yards on 16 carries on the ground. Mark Ingram comes back a little bit in this one. RB31, 9.7 points. uh, 47 yards on 13 carries, 30 yards on two catches. Marquise Hollywood-Brown has another good game. Wide receiver 22, 16.6 points, 112, I'm sorry, 86 yards on eight catches, and then Mark Andrews dominates yet again this week. Makes me feel so good. Tight end one on the week, 25.20 points, eight catches, 112 yards, and a touchdown for him. Is it time to trust in Hollywood Browns? Two weeks in a row, he looks like he's the guy outside of Mark Andrews for Lamar Jackson. Most people probably picked him up, blew all their fab money on him anyways last week, but if he's available, is it time to grab him and put him in a flex or wide receiver wide receiver two spot? Yeah, I think so. 13 targets uh, tells you that he's a focal point. You know, um, he had the most uh, on the team there uh, with the 13 targets. He looks like he is a steady receiving option, uh, both for long plays and for uh, intermediate plays. You know, he had a 41-yard catch in there among his 8 for 86, but he had a lot of uh, shorter catches as well. And, you know, we keep waiting. I think this gave us a better idea of what the Ravens' offense is probably going to look like week to week going forward. We keep waiting to see if they're going to play a tougher defense than what's going to happen, but they're going to Kansas City this week, so definitely not going to be a tougher defense this week. I would feel pretty good about putting Andrews and Brown and Lamar Jackson in my lineup. Yeah, I think Andrews is a is for sure tied in play. Um, you know, he was a guy that I've been talking about. I'm sure a lot of other people have been as well, especially with what he did at the end of last season. Uh, but was a guy that I really liked and, and was propping up all season, talking about how I thought he could have a, a really good year here. And so far, he has made me look really good. Uh, yeah, and as you were mentioning on the Ravens, I mean, it's they got the Chiefs next week, which say what you want about the Chiefs. They're going to obviously have to score to keep up with them, but their defense is not that good. The Browns, I mean... I guess the one thing outside of the one thing you could take away from last night, I don't even know if you could take away that their defense was good because they were playing a third string quarterback for most of the game. But then they have the Steelers, which we'll see what that defense is look. They you know have gotten beat now in two weeks in a row. Then the Bengals, then the Seahawks, and the Patriots. So there's a very realistic shot that their first game, their first real test, is not going to come until the Patriots. Which I mean, I don't know if they'll win all those games, but that is. Week yeah. eight, so I mean, you're looking at they could possibly be seven and zero at that point going into New England. So it's crazy. Uh, I mean, the Ravens look like they're going to be on a roll for a while now. I think all those guys, including Mark Ingram, I know he had a bad game here, but I think that was just because of how close it was and the way that line was playing. And he also did get hurt in this one as well. Came out for a little bit. That might have been. A, a, bothering him a little bit. I still think this team is going to be somewhat, I don't want to say run heavy, especially with what we've seen out of Lamar, but they will run the ball. So I'm right there with you. I think Lamar, Mark Ingram, and and now Marquise Brown, and then Andrews are all easy plays every single week. I think they've gotten to that territory where it's not even questionable anymore. They're in your lineup uh, regardless of who they are playing. 
I would knock Ingram down a little bit, though, because the first week he got a couple of TDs, and that was nice, and he's going to have some big boom weeks, but I wouldn't say I would consider him a solid RB1 or even a high-end RB2. Okay. I think we saw on Sunday what what can happen when you have a running quarterback, some of the same concerns you have for those guys that play with Josh Allen and yeah. Buffalo is when you have a quarterback that can take off on big runs or call their own number at the goal line, that can limit some of the potential upside. All right, fair enough. I would, I would, uh, if I had to guess right now, I'd probably have him in the middle pack of my wide of my running back twos. So I, I don't, I still yeah. think that's a. You know, very yeah. You're you're probably going to start him because chances are you don't have two backs better than him, especially with the way most yeah. leagues now that I at least I'm in draft running backs. Running backs seem to be the hot commodity in the past couple of years, or he's likely going to be in a flex spot depending again on how deep your lineups are. But yeah, I think our middle RB two is probably a good call for him, and, and I agree. Just like what you mentioned about Josh Allen yesterday, likely going to get vultured some by Lamar Jackson in the coming weeks. Uh, next up, we have what turned out to be a really good game between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Houstonville Texans. Houston, Houstonville, what was that? My goodness. The Houston Texans. Uh, they went 13-12. to uh, Jacksonville had a chance to win this with a two-pointer. Decided to give it to Leonard Fournette, who got stopped at the line. A little bit mind-boggling to me, especially with the way Gardner Minshew had played in this game. So he finishes his QB 16 on the week with 238 Points, 23 of 33, 213 yards, one touchdown, did add 56 yards on the ground. Leonard Fournette, 47 yards on 15 carries, added 40 yards on four catches to finish his RB 21, 12.7 points. DJ Chark balls out again. Wide receiver 14, 18.5 points in this one, 55 yards, seven catches, and a touchdown. And then Chris Conley also has another good game. Finishes his wide receiver 42, 11.3 points, 73 yards on four catches. Surprising that D.D. Westbrook doesn't do much in this one, just three catches on, I'm sorry, three yards on one catch. So Minshew, super flex leagues, I think it's easy. He was probably picked up last week anyways. If he wasn't, he needs to be picked up. I think he's good to go the rest of the season until Nick Foles comes back. What were your thoughts on Minshew? Yeah, I thought he looked really good. Yeah, I think he actually finished with more points than Watson, who he was playing yes, against. He, um, <clears throat> he looked good both as a passer and a runner. Um, I think Leonard Fournette, I was not super high on him coming into the season. I think you saw a little bit of potentially why there. 15 carries, but only 47 yards. Kind of bails out near day in PPR with four catches. The wide receiver is going to be interesting to watch going forward. It does seem like DJ Shark is the one that he favors, led the team in targets. Westbrook and Conley have the same number of targets, five, but Westbrook much less efficient, only grabbing the one pass, whereas Conley was able to get four for 73. Um, it's really hard, I think, to have a lot of faith in the pass catchers below Shark uh, based on yeah. the first couple weeks because... You know, Westbrook seemed to do better, I believe, in week one when Foles was in there. So it could be a case, you know, sometimes when you have the backup quarterback ascending to the lead role, as we saw last night in the Jets game, I had put Robbie Anderson lower because uh, they were going to play Simeon. You get a different quarterback in there, you get a different kind of an outcome. We were going preseason based on what we thought we were seeing with Nick Foles and maybe the guys they had had from last year, whereas a guy like Gardner Minshew works with second team, works with younger players, develops a rapport with somebody else, and it sure, certainly seems like 
DJ Shark is the one that he feels the most comfortable with at this point. Yeah, for sure. So that's what I was going to mention with D.D. Westbrook is a lot of people thought coming in the year he was going to be the guy. We saw a little bit of flashes from him last year. Definitely has the talent. And then we really thought the biggest issue was not having that quarterback. And, and Blake Bortles, we can all clearly say that Nick Foles was better than him. He had, and I can't figure out exactly how much it was for sure, but he had six targets last week. Uh, where Chris Conley actually had seven, and then DJ Chark had four. So DJ Chark was definitely the lowest. The one thing I do know on Chark was that one target, one touchdown came from Nick Foles, which was the play that he got hurt on. Mm -hmm. The rest of them did come from Gardner Minshew. So I I agree with you on what you're saying there. It might be the fact that he just feels comfortable with them because they would have played more together during the preseason, Chark being lower down on the the depth chart and everything probably worked out more in practices together. And as I talked about before, DJ Chark was immensely talented coming out last year. I don't want people to overlook that, and I do think he's clearly showed that he can be the guy here. I personally, again, this is, I'm someone who plays in extremely deep leagues. I don't play in a lot of leagues where it's just two running backs, two wide receivers, and one flex spot. Mine's usually three, four wide receivers, two flex spots, two running backs. So, for me, I think in if you're playing in a just a straight regular PPR league is what I'll call it with two wide receivers, two running backs, and one flex spot, he's probably not going to break your lineup. I can't imagine that he will maybe in the flex spot depending on how you drafted. But if you're playing in deeper leagues, I think you've got to play him every week because in my opinion, he is the one. I don't think they can rely on Leonard Fournette. Neither You were saying you weren't high on him. Neither was I coming into the year. So they're going to have to throw the ball if they want to try and win games here. I think Doug Marone with everything going on there, is on the hot seat now. So he's trying to win games to save his job, if that's even possible. So I think the Chark attack is good to go forward. Before we touch on the Texan side, I just want to address the rumor here. Not even the rumor. So Jalen Ramsey, after the blow-up uh, Sunday, if you guys didn't see it, apparently he was locked in coverage with DeAndre Hopkins, uh, threw the ball to him. The Hopkins caught the ball, but it hit the ground. So it should have been an incomplete pass. Jalen Ramsey went up to his coach and told him to challenge it because the ball hit the ground. Marone didn't challenge it. That pissed off Ramsey. Marone came over to the bench to say something to him, and they almost got into a fight. And then Jalen Ramsey has come out and asked for a trade. The last report that I saw says the Jaguars are asking for two first-round picks for him, which in all honesty makes sense because he is probably, if not the best, in the discussion for the best cornerback in the league. And Minka Fitzpatrick just got a one. And I would say Ramsey is much better than Fitzpatrick. Do you think that Ramsey gets shipped off uh, from the Jacksonville Jaguars this season? Yeah, I mean, I think he'll certainly get moved. It's uh, it's an interesting situation. Jacksonville, another team that seems to be uh, coming apart a little bit. You have to wonder if it's going to take a toll on the front office as well. Um, you know, I think somebody on ESPN might have been Sheffer said the NFL's becoming like the NBA with all these guys demanding trades and big players on the move. I don't really remember anything like this in years past. I mean, if you think about the talent we've already seen kind of shuffle around the board, both in the off season and even since the season started, uh, it's been pretty incredible. So I wouldn't be surprised if they moved him. I thought there were rumors they were looking at possibly moving him last year and during the off season. Um, it doesn't seem like he's a good personality fit, probably not somebody they want to sink a lot of money into long term, but at the same time, you don't want to let the, a guy like that walk and get no compensation back. When they lost Foles, I pretty well thought the Jags were 
out of the playoff picture. Uh, as good as Minshew has looked, I still feel the same way. So if you're looking at a lost season anyway, it might be better to kind of recoup and regroup. Oh, yeah, especially if you can get two first-round picks for him. I think that's phenomenal value. Again, you're either going to have to pay him or lose him, as you just said. So if that's something you can trade him and get two first-round picks for him, I would do it in a heartbeat. My one fear with that is exactly what you just mentioned with his attitude and personality. I think that really kind of limits the places that he can go. Uh, I don't know many places that he could fit in at. I'll be interested to see if he does get moved uh, within the coming weeks. I can't imagine he gets moved this week, but if he does, we'll obviously talk about it when it happens. But I imagine he'll be there for at least a week or two, possibly looking more toward the trade deadline before he's able to move maybe a team that needs a cornerback. Someone gets hurt or something like that. They're trying to make that push for the playoffs and Super Bowl to kind of and put, take him over the edge. Yeah, I think it's going to be some kind of a contender. There were a lot of places that were rumored for Minka Fitzpatrick, and then we end up seeing him go to the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is not a place many of us probably would have thought of right away. So I think some of those same teams that really have designs on trying to win a Super Bowl that need a corner are going to be looking at Ramsey in much the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And some of those were... Was it the Dallas Cowboys? I know was one of them because I heard that today, and I can't remember who Eagles the other team was. The Eagles were gotcha. a, a team. The Eagles seem to be rumored anytime anyone's involved, and then of course you can never rule out New England, where magic just happens. Oh, God, I think if he goes to New England, I'm just going to quit being a football fan altogether. Somebody said that on Twitter last night, so you'd be in good company. Yeah, I just uh, oh my God, that would just be ridiculous. All right, so the Houston <laughs> Texans side here. Deshaun Watson struggled in here, as you just mentioned, just uh, finishes as QB 26 with 16.86 points, 16 of 29, 159 yards. Oh, excuse me. Zero touchdowns. Uh, does get five yards and a touchdown on the ground, though, so kind of salvage your day a little bit. Carlos Hyde, 20 carries, 90 yards in this one. Out snaps and out carries Duke Johnson by a lot, which was a little bit surprising to me. Finishing his RB34 with nine points. And then DeAndre Hopkins struggled in this one, though not kind of a surprise again playing against Jalen Ramsey. Those two have always had really good battles between the two of them. Finishes again as wide receiver 55 with nine points, 40 yards on five catches. Will Fuller right there, too, with 40 yards on four catches. Texans, I think, just a bad game altogether. I'm really not chalking much up to this. I think, uh, you know, we've talked about it before. Watson and Hopkins are – their plays every single week. You're going to get a game like this every once in a while. Add your studs. Outside of Devontae Adams last year, who put up double-digit points every single game, you're you're going to get games like this where, unfortunately, they just have a bad game. The the interesting thing is going to be Hyde and Johnson. Obviously, Johnson came over week three of the preseason – Everybody thought that he was going to get a big run here. They bring in Hyde after all the cuts and everything, and he's about to get cut from Kansas City. They trade him to Houston, kind of bringing back the you know 2017 backfield of the Cleveland Browns. And we talked about it. I thought Hyde looked really good in Week One against the Saints, and now he outcarries him by 11 carries in this game. What are your thoughts on these two moving forward? Can you even trust Duke Johnson going forward? Yeah. So there. A lot of thoughts for me in this game. I, I think I saw Laramie Tunsil come off at one point in time, a little banged up. That would be concerning, considering what they mortgaged. But you see Watson with four more sacks this week. He got beat up quite a bit. And New Orleans beat up again here. Their line continues to be a problem. 
I also thought we saw Fuller clearly establish himself as wide receiver too. He got seven targets, uh, the same as Kenny Stills and Kuti combined. I think that's a, a pretty good sign going forward. But yeah. the backs are the real interest. Uh, high 20 carries, Duke Johnson only six carries. Duke Johnson, we always thought he was going to make more of his impact in the passing game, only had a single target. That, to me, is a red flag. Johnson, at this point, is unplayable uh, to me, even in deeper leagues. You've got to see him be a more steady piece of the offense before you're feeling good about that because Carlos Hyde looked good running in week one and maybe was getting eased into it a little bit more because he hadn't had time to adjust. But 20 carries for 90 yards, they need a running game to protect Watson, to control the clock, to keep people off their quarterback. Looks like Carlos Hyde has found a little bit of rejuvenation and has found a good fit here and looks like he is going to be the, the better play among those running backs, at least for the time being going forward. Yeah, and so for me on Duke Johnson, the one thing I'll say is this is exactly what I said when Johnson got over here and then when Hyde showed up. I was big on Johnson when I thought it was just going to be him because that meant he was likely going to get the rushing. But as we talked about it, all of last season, Deshaun Watson only checked the ball down to the running back 60 times. That is not a lot, people. I know it sounds yeah. like a lot, but when you go through an entire 16-game season, that included the playoffs as well, that is not a lot. So you are not going to get a lot of the receiving work out of Johnson. So if Hyde is going to be the running back there, Johnson, in my opinion, has no value whatsoever. So until Hyde um, goes down, go ahead, go ahead. You see Johnson was 6 for 31. You think that's pretty efficient, but he had a 19-yard run, which yeah. means he had five carries for 12 yards. not even a very good running. Yeah, he's never been that great of a running back. This is coming from someone who loved when he got drafted by the Browns. Like I, I've all, I hated that they traded him. I love Duke on the team. He was one of the guys that all the fans rooted for, but he's just – he is phenomenal when he gets the ball in the receiving game. He just always seems to make something work. But as a runner, he's just not that good. I don't know if it was his vision, couldn't see the holes, what, but he just he never did good running the ball. So I'm with you. Carlos Hyde is the guy right now to own in Houston and, and to use Duke Johnson. Unless there's an injury, I just don't see it happen. Unless all of a sudden Deshaun Watson just decides to start checking the ball down to the running back all the time, I don't see it happening. I did want to mention something you talked about with Will Fuller. Um, I'm someone who owns Will Fuller in a couple leagues. I think, yeah, again, bad game this week. A.J. Bouye on the other side covering Will Fuller, again, another top cornerback. I think Will Fuller until, uh, I shouldn't say until, hopefully he doesn't get hurt. As long as he's healthy, he's an easy play for me every week as a wide receiver to reflex. Uh, just based on his upside alone, because I think he's a little bit more consistent with the long plays and touchdowns than a Deshaun Jackson is, especially in that high-powered offense. Loved uh, exactly what you said, that Will Fuller got all the targets that he did in this game as well. Right. Next up, we're going to talk about the Chiefs and the Raiders. So the Chiefs win 28-10 in this one. Patrick Mahomes just balls out. Uh, I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about this kid anymore. Finishes as QB1, 47.12 points, 30 of 44, 443 yards, and four touchdowns. Uh, Damian Williams finishes as RB36 with 8.6 points, 8 yards on 9 catches, and then adds 48 yards on, I'm sorry, 8 yards on 9 carries, adds 48 yards on 3 catches. LaShawn McCoy 
gets you just 23 yards on 11 carries. Demarcus Robinson and Miko Hartman step up big in this one for the absence of Tyree Kill. Robinson, 172 yards on six catches and two touchdowns to finish his wide receiver one on the week with 36.7 points. Miko Hartman, wide receiver 26 with 16.1 points, gets you 61 yards on four catches and a touchdown as well. Sammy Watkins reverts back to the mean a little bit here. Wide receiver 44 with 10.9 points in this one. Uh, he's He gets you 49 yards on six catches. Travis Kelsey tied in two on the week, 23 yards, 23.7 points, 107 yards on seven catches, and a touchdown. For the Chiefs side here, well, let's start with the running backs. McCoy, it's it's came out today that he is injured with an ankle injury, might not play in week three. Damon Williams times, or is it time to pick back up Darwin Thompson, a guy that we both talked about throughout the year, said, or at the beginning of the year, said, if you can bench, keep him on your bench, do it, because Damian Williams and LaShawn McCoy have a propensity to get injured. We have now seen that with McCoy. Do you think it's time to pick up Darwin Thompson and hope, or do you just want to play? I know neither one of us are Damian Williams guys. Do you just want to play Damian Williams and see what happens? Yeah, I think more concerning for the Chiefs, uh, you know, I wondered if they were going to have some trouble with their offensive line coming into the season. You know, an underrated story is they lost their center who went to Buffalo, and we've seen uh, Buffalo's running game has been really good. And um, it was hit or miss against the Jags, and it was definitely a huge miss against the Raiders. Kind of a weird game. The Raiders took a 10 nothing lead at the end of the first quarter, and he thought, oh, are we in upset down? Nope, the Chiefs come, rain down 28 points in the second quarter, and then nothing happens in the second half altogether. The other thing is they're going home, but they're also playing Baltimore this week. We've seen Baltimore smother the running game two weeks in a row. We saw what they did against David Johnson. Uh, and David Johnson, I think both of us would agree, is superior to either Williams or Thompson. So yes. Thompson is not a guy, if you're going out picking him up thinking you're going to have a good week this week, I would steer clear of that. I think Damian Williams would be the play this week because of his passing ability. I don't expect a huge amount of rushing offense from Kansas City against a pretty stout uh, Ravens defense. Passing game is interesting if you were uh, – on the Sammy Watkins train, 6 for 49, isn't that encouraging? What is encouraging is he by far led the team with 13 targets, which means Mahomes is still looking for him, still trying to get the ball to him. Better days uh, maybe ahead. Marcus Robinson was incredible. He should be owned in all leagues during this period. But he was only targeted six times and caught all six for 172 yeah. yards and two TDs. That's not something that's super sustainable still. I actually like him a little bit more than Hardman. Okay. If you had to pick between them right now, he got more work in the first game. Uh, he seems to really have something with Mahomes. Um, you know, rookie receivers, sometimes it can take them a year or two to reach their full potential. We might be seeing that a little bit with Hardman. They're both going to have a role. I don't think they're going to be quite as explosive as what we've seen the first two weeks when they play Baltimore, which is a better defense. Yeah, absolutely. So Robinson, that was what I was going to ask you, is which one you'd rather have between Robinson and Miko. And I agree with you on on Robinson. He's a guy who, when he came out a couple of years ago, a lot of people were high on, thought that he could be a really good wide receiver. We had not seen it. Uh, obviously, we saw it Sunday. He, he's got phenomenal talent and likely will be 
viable asset for them for at least the next probably four or five more weeks until Tyree Kill comes back. Uh, so I am with you. I'd rather have Robinson over Hardman. Uh, you know, Hardman did have a touchdown that got called back. I think it was another 60-yard touchdown. So he would have been had a much better day had that play not got called back. But I'm going to go ahead and take Robinson as well if I had to choose between those two. For the Raiders side of things here, Derek Carr finishes his QB 25. 17.47 points, 23 of 38, 198 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, adds 18 yards on the ground. Josh Jacobs finishes as running back 28 with 9.9 points in this one. Oh, goodness. Sorry, guys. 99 yards on 12 carries. And then you've got Tyrell Williams finishing as wide receiver 28 with 15.6 points. 46 yards, a touchdown, and five receptions. And then Darren Waller has another good game. I, I forgot to look up his uh, his fantasy stats, so I'll do that after I ask Matt a question here. But 63 yards uh, on six catches. Uh, are those the only four guys that you are willing to start every week for the Raiders? And are you willing to start all four of them uh, every week if you have them? I'm not willing to start them every week. I thought this was going to be a golden opportunity against what's not a great defense for the Raiders to really show out a little bit more. Kind of a, a massively disappointing game uh, from Carr, especially when we saw what Gardner Minshew was able to do week one at home against this Chiefs defense. Jacobs is going to be TD dependent. I would say he's more in the flex range. 99 yards on 12 carries seems incredible, except for when you take out the 51-yard run that he had, in which case he had 11 carries for 48 yards. He also didn't have a single catch, so without much of a role in the passing game, that's going to limit some of his upside. If he gets into the end zone or gets into the end zone a couple times, as he did against Denver, you could have a real good day. Otherwise, these kind of rushing numbers are going to be middling. Uh, Tyrell Williams is going to be interesting, too. This is a Raiders team that I believe is on the road at Minnesota this week. That's going to be a much stouter defensive effort than they've uh, faced the first two weeks, and they're going to be on the road in a different time zone. Waller is probably the only one I feel good about starting seven targets, six receptions, 63 yards. We've talked many times about the tight end position. When you get a guy that's getting the volume and that's making the most of it, that's somebody that you have to start week to week. Yeah, so Waller is uh, is the easy one, obviously, especially we, we talked about it yesterday. We'll talk about it, I feel like, every episode probably, with especially the volatility in the tight end position, how weak it is really for fantasy studs. I think if you got him, great. Play him, especially if you were the one if you took him over, say, a TJ Hawkinson, who we saw a lot of people trying to get in that week one after both of them had a good game. Obviously, Hawkinson a little bit better. If you were ending, uh, if you ended up getting Waller, great. I would start him every week and feel perfectly fine with it. I kind of feel like I would start Tyrell Williams, though. He's really the only reliable pass catcher outside. I mean, I, I don't even say outside of the. He's the best pass catcher they have. We've seen what John Gruden can do with some of these guys. We saw it with Jared Cook last year. I think if Tyrell Williams continues to get the targets, he's going to be a guy. He's someone I would feel very comfortable starting as a wide receiver, too, or flex. I'm with you on Josh Jacobs and Derek Carr, though. Jacobs is okay. He's, I mean, I've been honest about the entire preseason. He's not been a guy that I was very high on. Uh, obviously had a phenomenal week one. Looked really good in that one run last week, or I'm sorry, on Sunday. 
but not really much else outside of that. Chances are you drafted him to be an RB2, so you likely don't have anybody better. So if you have to play him, I understand. But if there's a way to sit him this week, uh, you know, we'll make our official predictions and everything later on this week. But I feel like going up against that Minnesota defense, I know Aaron Jones did this week, but I personally would not start Josh Jacobs either against this. I feel like he's he's somewhat matchup dependent right now until we can see a little bit more of him. Yeah, Minnesota apt to be a little feisty coming off of a game where they took a lot of criticism in losing to Green Bay. Oh, yeah. And uh, so Darren Waller, I said I would look it up, finish it as, uh, finishes as tight end 8 on the week with 12.3 points. The New Orleans Saints and the Los Angeles Rams, a game we were all hoping would be better than it turned out, most of that probably being due to the fact of the injury to Drew Brees. So, on the Saints side of things, Teddy Bridgewater finishes as QB 30 with 11.35 points, 17 of 30, 165, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Alvin Kamara, 45 yards on 13 carries in this one, uh, adds uh, 15 yards on one catch to finish as RB 42 with just 7 points. Michael Thomas, though, still has a good day. 10 catches, 89 yards in this one, finishing as wide receiver 13, 18.9 points. And then Jared Cook disappoints again, tied in 20 with 6 points in this one just 25 yards on two catches is everyone's value hurt without Drew Brees now on this Saints offense yeah I think that's certainly the case the one that probably comes closest to retaining their value is Michael Thomas because he's hitting shoulders above the the other receivers ended up still getting 13 targets catching 10 for 89 on Sunday. So if he's going to get that kind of volume, even if he doesn't get the big bang plays or doesn't get as many touchdowns, he can still salvage your day in PPR. I, I think they may want to lean on the running game a little bit more. Uh, Latavius Murray, only five carries seven yards on the ground on Sunday. Um, obviously the, the Rams have a pretty decent defense. They were the NFC champions last year. So kind of a tough road game, unexpected, probably threw the game plan off. I'm curious to see how they adjust for Bridgewater uh, coming up. I I have a few concerns about Alvin Kamara. He has never been an Ezekiel Elliott or Dalvin Cook type rusher where you knew he was going to make a lot of his points on the ground. He kind of is reliant on being part of the passing game. The fact he only got three targets on Sunday is a little concerning to me. Um you know, new quarterback getting in there. He's still one of the best weapons. I think you still have to play him. He's still an RB1 for me until we see evidence that he can't be. But it's a little concerning. Can he possibly reach the heights of what you thought? He was, especially in redraft, probably a top three pick with everything that was going on with Elliott preseason. It was pretty firmly Barkley, CMC, and Kamara in some order there. I know I grabbed him in a couple of redraft leaves when I was up at the top there. That's a little bit of a concern. You know, what is this going to do to the Saints? Teddy Bridgewater, we haven't seen him play a meaningful role in several years. The last time he did, it was a much different kind of offense than what you see from Drew Brees. I also wonder, do they start mixing Taysom Hill in there some more? Uh, in the preseason, some people wondered if Taysom Hill might be the better backup option. They are going to have a week to think about it. This is a Saints team that was built to win the Super Bowl now, to compete now. 
you know, what is Sean Payton going to do? And I think there are a lot of questions. But if you had pass catchers other than Michael Thomas, uh, those guys are probably not playable right now. If you were looking for a silver lining for Jared Cook, it's that he got seven targets. He hasn't really made the most of it. But uh, Bridgewater might be the kind of quarterback that's checking down or looking shorter more. Um, that could end up benefiting a tight end like Cook, who we saw what a value he was in that kind of a role in Oakland last season. Yeah, if you have Cook, hopefully you have somebody else like a Waller or an Andrews that you can play until he shows the value because I personally don't trust him right now. Uh, I, I, Michael Thomas, I think, is the only guy that I'm, I'm fine with. I, I Regardless of who is that quarterback, I think he is going to be fine. He, he got a lot of targets, a lot of those coming with Teddy Bridgewater, and he's got the kind of catch radius in hands that he's going to catch most of the balls coming to him. I mean, he was on track to break Marvin Harrison's catch record last year, really kind of fell off in the second half of the year, but that's also when Breeze fell off as well. So not worried about Michael Thomas whatsoever. Uh, I'm with you on the Alvin Kamara thing. I've been saying it all off season. I was not big on Alvin Kamara just because they got rid of Mark Ingram because the coaches said they weren't going to increase his work Workload, and I didn't think he could handle that kind of workload. Um, I agree that I think that Latavius Murray might get some more run here. Obviously, if you have Alvin Kamara, you're starting him because, as you pointed out, you drafted him at worst in the top five. So you don't. Chances are you don't have you know other backs that you can put in over him. So you're going to have to start him, but I do agree. I think much like the Juju talk we had yesterday, this is going to limit his ceiling uh, and, and kind of drop him down. Still has a fairly safe floor, but you're not quite going to get that top three back out of him that you thought you had a chance to get with Drew Brees there. So still you're going to start him every week, but but limit your expectations a little bit on him moving forward. On the Rams side here, Jared Goff finishes his QB 13 with 25.8 points, 19 to 28, 283 yards and a touchdown. Todd Gurley has a good game here, RB 13, 15.7 points, 63 yards on 16 carries and a touchdown. Malcolm Brown kind of put back in his usual role, which was good to see if you're a girly owner. Cooper Cup and Brandon Cooks are the wide receivers that ball out in this one, though. Cooper Cup, six catches, 120 yards. Brandon Cooks, 74 yards on three catches in a long 57-yard touchdown. Pele, that w- it was very nice. Robert Wood struggles a little bit in this one. Uh, does get a, a rushing, or a carry for nine yards, uh, and then just adds 33 yards on two catches. For me, I think what we saw out of this one, Gurley's back, in my opinion. I do think they're going to continue to manage him a little bit, and that's fine. Nobody who Everybody who drafted Gurley and say a redraft league expected that. Nobody expected him to get the workload he's had the past couple seasons. But I do think the Malcolm Brown narrative we saw in week one has kind of been pushed back a little bit with how much would they use Gurley this week. Um, what are your thoughts, though, on the wide receivers? So it, it seems to me, again, we're only two weeks in, but... You probably have to start all three of these guys if you own them, but chances are only one or two of them are going to go off every week. You're not really going to see all three. Yeah, and I think that's been the challenge the last couple of years when they're all in there and it's you know a te- another team with an embarrassment of riches at one position. It feels like to me Cooper Cup has the safest floor week to week, but also has probably the lowest ceiling cap. And then it's whether it's going to be a Cooks game or a Woods game. Um, you know, Cup with nine targets, 
that's three more targets than Cooks and Woods combined. He feels like he gets uh, that feels like about the range. He just has a rapport with Goff that seems a little bit different. He's not their big play guy, but he seems to be the one that gets uh, peppered with targets the most consistently, which probably gives him the best floor. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, we me and Dennis both talked about it coming into the season that we both thought Brandon Cooks this would kind of he's a guy who's averaged a thousand yards every year he's been in the league. So or not average, he's gotten a thousand yards. So technically, yes, he's averaged that. So he's a guy I thought would take a step forward this year as someone who owns Robert Woods. I'm hoping Robert Woods is the guy uh, that has a really good year here. But I think I, I am with you on the cup thing, I, I, especially because we saw that before he got hurt last year. He just seems to they they those two just seem to have good chemistry, a good relationship. Relationship. He's going to be the check down guy because he's going to be in the slot. I would say ninety percent of the time, if not more. So you're going to ex- you're going to hope for not necessarily big plays out of Cooks and Woods, but one of them is going to have to get targeted more than the other. And you're never going to know which game that's going to be. So you're just going to have to hope that when you put them in there, it's going to be their week. But I'm with you. I think Cup safest floor. Cooks and Woods, though, if you have them, chances are you're starting them every week. You're going to get a dud like this out of Robert Woods and probably Brandon. Brandon Cooks had it in week one, actually. So you're going to get those duds out of them here and there. You're just going to have to kind of deal with it, unfortunately. The Sunday night football game, which turned out to be a fairly good game. The Eagles and the Falcons. The Eagles losing this one 22-24 for the Eagles side here. So Carson Wentz gets banged up a little bit in this one. Uh, took a shot, looked like to the ribs. Uh, did not end up or did not end up finishing the game, but does go 25 of 43, 231 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions to finish as QB 14, 25.79 points. Miles Sanders, the best out of the running backs, got more carries than everybody else, which I like to see. Didn't do much with them, though. 28 yards on 10 carries. Does, does get 9 yards on 3 catches to finish as RB45 with 6.7 points. Nelson Aguilar steps up big with all the other wide receivers getting injured in this one. Wide receiver 7 on the week, 24.6 points. 107 yards, a touchdown on 8 catches. Should have had another touchdown in this one. Zach Ertz, 72 yards on 8 catches as well. We have not heard for sure when Alshon Jeffrey... Um, it's going back. I'm sorry, Zach Ertz uh, tied in five on the week with 17.2 points. We've not heard when Alshon Jeffrey or Deshaun Jackson are going to be back in this one. So, do you trust starting Nelson Aguilar or Jaw? Just uh, JJ Arthega Whiteside, who is a phenomenal prospect out of Stanford, they drafted this year. Would you trust putting either one of them in your lineup this week, especially if both Jackson and Alshon are out? Um, I think Aguilar, you would. He had 11 targets, caught eight for 107. The set, the number two receiver for the Eagles, it really seemed like on Sunday night, was Mac Hollins and not Arthago Whiteside. Um, I don't think I would trust putting him in there. He had four targets, only caught one for four balls. Hollins actually had eight targets, caught five for 50. He potentially, if you were in a deeper league, would be somebody to consider. But really, it looks like when they're missing those guy, those other guys, the two that really got peppered in there were Aguilar and Ertz. So you would um, you would trust to put Aguilar? What would you say, flex, or you you have enough hope in him to be a wide receiver too this week? With uh, let's see here, I'm trying to pull up who they were playing, and my phone wasn't working. So they have the Lions this week. So chances are you got Aguilar and Ertz out there. You're you're getting Slay on Aguilar. I'm I personally just thinking about that right then, yeah, not necessarily trusting that matchup. But he Wentz has to throw the ball to somebody, right? 
So would you trust putting him in your flex spot then? Yeah, I, I would say a flex. Really, the only one that you feel rock solid week to week feels like Ertz. And if he hadn't gotten banged up a little bit, he might have had some some better numbers too. He got targeted 16 times. <clears throat> the Eagles are just kind of a tough offense sometimes to read. Um, have to see uh, what happens this week. It feels like uh, Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson are banged up all the time. Deshaun Jackson's been on the injury report since early in the preseason, so you never know if they're going to come back or not. It was just a, a rough game on Sunday night. Kind of disappointed that you didn't see any of the backs uh, take a bigger step up. Obviously, opportunities there for both Sanders and Howard. Sanders got 10 carries, Howard got 8, and they combined for uh, less than 50 yards, which not super impressive. Yeah, I would really like to see Sanders step up more again. He was a, a rookie that came out this year that I was really high on. I had him right there with David Montgomery as the best in this class, and, and he showed a lot of really good runs there in week one. Had one called back, uh, but did not show much against that Atlanta Falcons defense that, that got run all over by Dalvin Cook the week before. So I was hoping to see more yeah. out of him, hoping to see more out of him coming forward or moving well, forward. They, the Eagles have some kind of offensive line problems because they couldn't open holes in the running game and they couldn't keep Carson Wentz upright. Um, you know, for a guy who's had some injury issues uh, the last couple of years, the the number and the volume and the tenacity of hits he took has to be alarming if you're an Eagles fan. Oh, yeah. All right, so on the Falcons side here, Matt Ryan has another good day. 24 of 43, 320 yards, three touchdowns, does get three interceptions, though, finishes his QB7 with 31.8 points. Devonta Freeman continues to struggle, 11 carries, 22 yards, finishing his RB33 with 9.4 points, also gets 42 yards on three catches. Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley ball out in this one, though. Julio, wide receiver three with 29 points, 106 yards on two touchdowns and five receptions, and then Calvin Ridley, wide receiver, 8 with 24.5 points. Gets you, um, I'm sorry, 105 yards on 8 catches and a touchdown. Austin Hooper, 34 yards on 4 catches. The Falcons bounce back here. Really, Julio, Ridley, Ryan, you're not really worried about Hooper. You're going to get these games from him, in my opinion. Good game last week, bad game this week. But Devonta Freeman, a guy a lot of people were hoping was going to have a bounce back season, including myself, are you starting to worry about him a little bit? Yeah, I wasn't high on him coming into the year. I just don't think he's developed into what we thought he might be. He looked like the second-best running back on their team on Sunday night. Edo Smith had a lot more pop, it seemed like, when he was going through holes. I think a lot of people drafted Devonta Freeman to be a high-end RB2 or maybe even their RB1 if they waited on running backs. Uh, To me, it's time to hit the panic meter. He catches three for 42. That kind of bails you out a little bit if you're in PPR, but... Uh, if you're a running back, you have to be able to make some yards on the ground, and he doesn't seem able to do that. The Falcons, another team with some offensive line issues, um, probably contributing some to Matt Ryan rushing and throwing interceptions, but that's going to be a concern going forward. We have seen two games and really not gotten anything out of Freeman, who was supposedly healthy coming into the year. Yeah, let's let's hope for better days ahead for Freeman because I am someone who thought he might have a bounce-back game this week. They do get the Colts next week, which is not exactly a great matchup either. All right, last game on the docket, the Monday night football game between the Cleveland Browns and the New York Jets. Since everybody knows I'm a Browns fan, we'll save them for last. 
The New York Jets lose 3-23 here. Trevor Simeon out there for a little bit, then gets hurt. Rolled up on by Miles Garrett, suffers a pretty nasty ankle injury. He is out for the rest of the season. Sucks to see that uh, for a kid who seemed to be really uh, a really good kid. Just got Luke Falk comes out there. He goes 20-25, 198, no touchdowns, no interceptions. It finishes QB 29 on the week with 12.92 points. Le'Veon Bell balls out against all odds. It was actually crazy to think that he put up this many points because watching the game, you would not have thought so with the way he was getting eaten up in the backfield at times by that Browns defense. Really kind of, I think, gave you a lot of points in the receiving game, obviously, and then put up some pretty good runs there at the end of the game. But finishes as RB7 with 20.9 points, 68 yards on 21 carries, at 61 yards on 10 catches. And then Robbie Anderson, late in the game with Luke Falk, actually starts to put up some value, but only finishes as wide receiver 41 with 12 point. One points, 81 yards on four catches. Didn't see Jamison Crowder even catch a ball till the fourth quarter, 40 yards on four catches. Jets killed with injuries. I think at this point, obviously, we don't know when Darnold is going to come back. You've got them going up against the Patriots this Sunday with Falk at quarterback. Are you even going, well, I think you have to start Bell, but would you trust starting Bell, and is there anybody else you would throw out there? Yeah, I think Bell is pretty well matchup proof. I mean, the the Browns seem to be putting all their focus on him, and he was still able to make some nifty plays and still able to make something out of nothing on a lot of plays. So I'm rolling him out there. In terms of wide receivers, um, I was somewhat impressed with the connection that Falk seemed to have with Anderson. Be curious to see how that goes going forward. Um, but Anderson likely uh, to draw some tough coverage uh, in New England. Yeah. It's hard to have confidence really starting any piece of the Jets offense other than Bell uh, week to week at this point. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. Especially Brand- or, uh, Anderson's likely going to get Stephon Gilmore this week, who is, is one of the best. So, yeah. For the Brown side of things, so really well, there's only three players to touch on, and that's the three main guys. Baker Mayfield goes 19-35, 325 yards, one touchdown, one interception to finish his QB 19, 21 point. 7.5 points. Uh, Chubb goes to RB6 this week with 21.3 points. 62 yards on a touch and one touchdown. 18 carries. Does add 36 yards on four catches. And then OBJ finishes as wide receiver four with 28.1 points. 161 yards on uh, six catches with a touchdown again. A lot of his points and Baker's coming on the 189-yard touchdown play. I am worried, officially, as a Browns fan. The defense did not look good in this one. Uh, I mean, again, yeah, they held the Jets to three points, but as you just mentioned, they only had to stop Le'Veon Bell. That that was it. If Trevor Simeon was out there. Yeah, they still they were still doing pretty good. Luke Falk actually seemed to do pretty good against them uh, for the most part there in that fourth quarter, even though uh, they didn't put up any more points. They got a, a lucky fumble off of uh, uh, off of Le'Veon Bell. Defense did play a little bit. But that offense is just not looking at all what we all thought it was going to be. Again, I think Baker and OBJ get bailed out by the 89-yard touchdown. Jets defense, you can say what you want about They are a decent defense. I do think Greg Williams, with the way he was disguising the defense, was confusing Baker. But I am officially worried going forward. If you own any of these three guys and Jarvis Landry, who did nothing in this game, how worried are you? Yeah, I think there's some concerns. You didn't even touch on Njuku. Some people thought was going to be a big time tight end yeah. coming into the season, which I, I don't think he had a catch on uh, 
last night's game. I'm not even sure if he had a target. No, he did. Uh, he did technically get the target. Uh, it was the one where Baker threw it too high, and the guy came in uh, and undercut him, and he landed on his neck, and he was out. And that was like early first quarter. So he might have done something being out there, but he did get hurt fairly early on. Uh, it wasn't a nasty hit, but the way he landed on his head and neck is kind of what took him out of the game. Yeah, and you're not seeing a great yards per carry average for Chubb. You know, he gets 62 on 18, did have a 19-yard run in there. So you're more talking about 17 carries for about 43 yards, which isn't the kind of production you're looking for. The Browns are a young team that have a lot of talented pieces, but a lot of outsized personalities on both sides of the ball. And they have a very kind of young and, I would say, inexperienced coaching staff not to be too blunt. I mean, Steve Wilkes has been a defensive coordinator for a while, was not a very successful head coach in Arizona, now comes over to be defensive coordinator here. Freddie Kitchens did a great job in half a season as the offensive coordinator for a team that, if we're being honest, didn't face a lot of pressure. Yeah, Anything that they were going to do that was positive was a bonus. We've seen Odell Beckham Jr. He is an incredible talent, but he is also an incredible personality that has to be managed. You throw him into the mix with Baker, who is another incredible talent, but an incredible personality that has to be managed. And some of the personalities they have on defense, you still see a team that I think at times is playing a little reckless. You know, We've seen some penalties uh, that are troubling and somewhat disturbing on both sides of the ball. You touched on a little bit on Miles Garrett and some of the ways that he's playing. I didn't realize until I was listening to them last night that he was the most penalized defensive end last year. Um, Just real aggressive plays. And you, you want guys to be aggressive and to make things happen. I think they referenced it many times on the broadcast last night, and it really seemed to be true. Cleveland doesn't have a great offense. They have great potential of hitting home run plays. And it seems like in the play calling, they're trying to call those home run plays all the time. There were questions coming into the season about whether the offensive line matched the talent of the skill position players around him. And I think seeing that kind of yards per carry for Chubb and the way Baker got thrown around and hit frequently uh, makes you realize that is a bigger concern than people realize. Six for 161 and a touchdown for Beckham covers over a lot of things. He had the 89-yard touchdown. He also had a 33-yard bomb. So you take those two huge plays out of the mix, and it looks a lot different. Landry, another question entirely, too. You know, a lot of people coming into the season, especially in the fantasy season, thought this was going to be an offense that could sustain five players that were at the top of their positions all season long. I think we're seeing that may not be a realistic goal or a realistic possibility. Yeah, so on the offensive line, I think that is one of the big issues. If you go back and look at what we all got hyped up on the Browns because of what they did at the end of last year. But if you really look at it, Baker Mayfield got sacked one time in the final seven games. One time. So that is a big deal. He's obviously gotten hit a lot more than that this year. That offensive line has struggled. There's no doubt about that. For me, I'm right there with you. I agree. The home run plays, they're trying way too hard for them. Uh, you know, Not that I love Booger McFarland on the Monday Night Football calls, but he did point out multiple times that, that Baker had checkdowns that he should have gone to, but he kept throwing him deep to Odell or trying to get him to Landry force and throws, which is what he does. You know, so we can't tell him to change who he is. He's, he's been that gunslinger type. He was that at Oklahoma. We saw it out of him last year, but that's where some of his best plays came from as well. So you kind of have to take the good and the bad with that. 
for me, looking at the offense as a whole, my hope is that when Antonio Callaway comes back in two games, it's going to change everything. Because I do think they are missing that third piece that is going to help this offense and give Baker someone to check down to, but uh, not necessarily right where like Chubb and, and Joku and all those players were at. Callaway and Rashard Higgins were his bailouts last year, and that's where we saw him make a lot of big plays. I think that he'll have that ability again where Higgins was out last night, knee injury. Callaway, I think, is a phenomenal wide receiver, cannot come back till week five because of the PED suspension. But I, I talked about it earlier in the preseason with Dennis. He's likely now going to be matched up against the worst cornerback on every team because you're going to have the best cornerback on Odell most of the time and the slot corner on Jarvis Landry because Jarvis was playing a lot of outside wide receiver last night, which he's just not good at. We saw that at the beginning of last year. Jarvis in the slot, Odell and Antonio Callaway on the outsides hopefully helps improve this offense a little bit, but they really need to get that offensive line working better like they were last year, and I think need to lean heavier on Chubb. I think they get a little bit too cute with their play calling and switching Chubb in and out with Dearness Johnson, who God love him, Dearness Johnson, great kick returner, not that good of a running back. Why he's in there doing stuff, I don't know. Lean on Chubb like you guys did last year. Get that offensive line going. Hopefully when Antonio Callaway comes back, this offense can show us the potential we all thought they had. But I, as as a Browns fan, as I said, I am officially worried right now because they are about to go into a gauntlet. And I think if you have Chubb, Baker, and Odell for fantasy, you have to play them. But I am not feeling good about them right now because they have got a bunch of tough games coming up. The Rams, the Seahawks, the Ravens, the Patriots. Not going to be easy sledding moving forward. So if you got them, well, you're going to have to play them. But don't expect what you saw last year. I think the difference between you and me going into the season, we both thought Cleveland was going to be a playoff contender and a better team. I looked at that first half schedule and thought that they could actually struggle a little bit in the first half of the season for some of the reasons you talked about, because they were a young team trying to put it together. You would like with some of the challenges that they're facing for them to have an opportunity to play more games against defenses like the Jets where they can make some of those mistakes and gel together. Not only that, everybody was excited about the Browns because of their offseason and they got a lot of primetime games which puts even more pressure on them, especially early on. You know, They were on Monday Night Football this week. They're the Sunday night game at Los Angeles on Sunday night. That is not an easy game. Um, I think they're still a team that could struggle a little bit with some of these issues and coming together. But if, if Kitchens can can get it together and can be the kind of coach he was at the end of last year that they saw sparking him, they have enough talent. The back half of their schedule is a little bit easier. Maybe the spotlight moves off so, off them a little bit. They can get back on track. I still think this is at least a 9-7 you know, and seven to 11-5 and five team that can be a wild card in the playoffs. And that, you know... Maybe not mirroring the expectations of the people that wanted to put them in the Super Bowl <laughs> a few weeks ago. But to me, that is a huge step up for a franchise that as recently as a couple of years ago was a laughing stock of the NFL. Yes, yeah, so I do agree with you. Um, I did not have them doing that well to begin with either. I think the biggest concern maybe for me is that I had them win in the first two games. So that Titans game obviously yeah. smacked them in the mouth because, again, it's it's very realistic that they could lose the next four games in a row. The 49ers have looked like a much better team. That was another team, Monday Night Football, them going to, I think, San Francisco to play there as well in Mon- on Monday Night Football. So you have got 
the 49ers was another team you're like, okay, they probably can get that win there. So even if they struggle against the Ravens, all right, they'll get the Ravens at home in a couple weeks after that. But Seattle looking good. I mean, realistically, you're not going to give them a shot to win against the Patriots. I know they did it a long time ago with crap team, but that that's a one-time-off thing, right? So you've got now, if, if they don't win against the Rams, if they lose against the Ravens, a chance that they, win, they, they lose to the 49ers, Seahawks, and the Patriots – you're looking at them being one in six. I mean, that's not good. And that, that maybe you're yeah. right. They do have a very easy schedule after that, but it's going to be hard to put yourself into the playoffs when you're already down one and six. And it's going to, it is going to take the spotlight off of them. And there's going to be a lot of different spotlight. And I think what worries a lot of people as Browns fans with that is the fact that you have the, the personalities like you were talking about. I don't think Baker will be an issue if they lose a bunch of games, but what's Odell going to be like? We've seen him in New York when they were losing games and the way he acted. What what are some of these defensive players going to act like? What is How is Freddie going to handle it? Is Freddie going to get fired because he, he's that new head coach and everybody kind of had questions about him getting that job. Now he gets it. The Browns start off 1-6. What's going to happen? So I think there is a lot of questions around him. I'm not... I'm panicking because of some of the things Freddie Kitchen said as well after the first game when they got beat by Tennessee. Where, well, I didn't see that come in, and you know we we need some adversity and everything. I don't necessarily want to hear my head coach say that, uh, so I was yeah. a little bit worried with some of that stuff as well. But you're right, moving forward, they they still have a chance to do something, and and they did improve a little bit this week. Still have a chance to make the playoffs, but I am a little bit worried about this offense. Yeah, and you know, as as Red said in the Shawshank Redemption, hope can be a dangerous thing. And you know, most seasons don't start in the kind of hopeful place that this one did for Browns fans. But you know, keep your head up; could be worse. And um, you never know. This is the kind of team that, if they can get it together in one of those weeks, they can surprise you and they can win games that you don't expect them to win, which is what they did last year. Yeah. And you know, they their division opens up a little bit more. Um, Baltimore is a, is a decent team. They have more experience in the coaching ranks, but they, they have a lot of young players who are going to have some of the same issues and they've cruised a little bit to start the season playing weaker teams. Pittsburgh obviously lost all of its institutional knowledge in the off season and then with injuries. Uh, so they're still trying to come together and, you know, Cincinnati has plenty of questions. So still a winnable division. I think still a, a, good path to the playoffs just got to hope that cleveland is able to be a little introspective and take some uh take some time to look at some of these things and get on the right path and that is exactly what i'll be doing all the way up until sunday night when they get their asses beat by the rams more than likely (laughs) well matt thank you so much for joining me today and and helping me break down the rest of these games Uh, and i look forward to talking to you again on thursday we'll do some different stuff and then we'll obviously preview the thursday night football game between the jaguars and the titans Derek henry's uh 2019 coming out party uh yeah we'll see if he can do it again have a good one prepare for glory i don't know if you got your popcorn ready do you got your popcorn ready i came out the wall wide already and he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown i would be honored if you played football for this team throw it up above his head they can't jump with me die